You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked on Thunder podcast for July 11th. I am your gracious and humble host, Derek G. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day. Coming up in segment one, we'll talk about Carmelo Anthony and why there are still no easy answers for the Oklahoma City Thunder when dealing with this situation. What are the possible scenarios? And is it just a risk that wasn't worth taking for Oklahoma City because it's going to bite them in the butt for quite a long time. I also think the Carmelo Anthony situation says a lot about the Thunder's history and how they treat players. So that's segment number one. Segment number two is Andre Robertson's road back. Why the Thunder may slow play that. And if the Thunder do decide to bring him along later, even though Andre Robertson may be ready to go by the beginning of the year, but the Thunder aren't quite comfortable with that. How do you limp along? What do you do in that situation? And is there somebody Oklahoma City could sign or bring in to take the place of Andre Robertson while he's gone? Plus, we'll hear from Dre as well as Sam Presti on the road back and what Andre Robertson meant to the team. We'll talk about the Nerlens Noel midnight call from Billy Donovan, or actually it was a midnight visit from Billy Donovan. Then it was a call from Russell Westbrook and Paul George that sealed the deal for him to come to Oklahoma City. And that got me thinking about If you're trying to entice free agents to come to your organization, who are the most important voices? Who has to be in that room to close close it out? Is it players? Is it coaches? Is it GMs? Is it a combination of the two? I will give you my thoughts on that. And then we'll wrap things up today by hearing from our good friends at LockedOnBulls.com as they'll tell us all about Zach Levine. My name's Eric G. I did radio in Oklahoma City for a while, hosted a lot of Thunder Post games. I'm a credentialed member of the media. I've been covering this team for five years. I also work for another publication called Thunder Digest. And if you like what you hear, I highly encourage you to go to LockedOnThunder.com, not only because all our podcasts are archived, but we also have video and audio from players, coaches, and members of the front office. Diving into segment number one, Carmelo Anthony still hangs over the Oklahoma City Thunder's head like a black cloud. And that's not going away anytime soon, or at least until August 31st. Because that's when the Thunder's deadline is to decide whether or not they're going to waive him or keep him. And the waive would ultimately mean Carmelo Anthony's gone, and then they're going to stretch his contract out for three years, which is what's going to happen. If you're wondering how the Thunder are ultimately going to play this out, that will be the end scenario. Carmelo Anthony will get cut. The Thunder will pay his salary for for three years. And in my opinion, once that happens, the Houston Rockets are going to pounce. They're going to sign this guy. He's going to go play with Chris Paul and James Harden. And he's going to be an absolute pain in the butt to not only the Oklahoma City Thunder, but everybody he plays against in the West because Carmelo Anthony's going to have a major chip on his shoulder, didn't like the way he was used at Oklahoma City, and he's going to be out to prove that he's still of not only a viable part to any organization, but he's a guy that can help you win a championship, and the Thunder just didn't know how to use him. This is why I keep coming. This is another reason why I just hate this decision. Look, I'm all for taking risk. And the Thunder took a major risk by by 
doing a trade for Carmelo Anthony and giving up a guy like Ennis Canner who would have done anything you ask him to and would have graciously stayed here in Oklahoma City for his entire career. But you wanted to help Russell Westbrook. You wanted to prove to Russell Westbrook that the Thunder were always going to be taking chances. They were going to do everything they could to put the best players around him and give him an opportunity to win the way Kevin Durant is winning in Golden State. And by taking that risk, the Thunder did accomplish some things. One, they did get Russell Westbrook to sign a five-year Supermax. But I also believe that Russ, there's part of me that will always believe that Russ was going to sign that deal with or without Carmelo Anthony and with or without Paul George, that he was committed to the Oklahoma City Thunder. He was just going to drag it out until it was Kevin Durant's birthday and he felt like he could make the most impact and stick that knife in and turn it a little bit more. Maybe that's me being sadistic or overthinking it too much. But I really do believe that Russell Westbrook was coming back the more I hear people talk with inside the organization and the more I hear Russell Westbrook talk. Still, you have to do everything in your power to win and getting the best players available to you by whatever means necessary, you've got to take advantage of it. But the other thing that the Thunder did by bringing along Carmelo Anthony was saddle themselves with an extremely high tax bill for the 2018-2019 season. Whether Carmelo Anthony worked out or not, it was an awful lot of money to be paying, especially if you didn't think your organization was going to be in a position to win a championship. Winning is one thing. Taking out Golden State is fantastic. But you still, when you're paying that kind of money, got to bring home the O'Brien Trophy. So financially, you put yourself up against the wall. And you were bringing Carmelo Anthony into a situation where you were going to put him out of his, in air quotes now, natural position where he may not necessarily work out. And as you saw, Carmelo Anthony didn't work out. And as much as people want to blame Carmelo Anthony, and I'd like to thank Nick Shrimpington. I'll go ahead and assume that's your real name because there wasn't a picture attached on your Facebook comment. But Nick, I want to thank you, deeply thank you for listening to the podcast. That I think is very cool. And I want to thank you immensely for the feedback because that's like, that's totally awesome. Anytime I can get feedback on the podcast, agree, disagree, like, don't like, it tells me people are listening and you invest the time in that. That I am grateful for, extremely grateful for. But I disagree with you, Nick. I don't think Carmelo Anthony was bad for the Oklahoma City Thunder at all. 16 points a game, not bad. Had a great year from beyond the arc. Even though he was below his average in points, he was a model citizen while he was here. Everybody spoke highly of him. But a lot of this falls on the Oklahoma City Thunder. They've got to know how to use guys. And that's the reason why I put natural position in air quotes because when I hear Billy Donovan talk, He always mentions the words positionless basketball. So to me, the numbers one through five are just that. They're just numbers. And even though that there there are certain things like Steven Adams is going to have to do, like block out and rebound, and Russell Westbrook is going to have to do as a point guard, like hit the open man and distribute and bring, or I guess for Russell's case, bring the ball up court. And maybe look for the open man when somebody has a shot. Or Carmelo Anthony as a four. He's supposed to go down and, and block out a little bit more, play play a little bit more defense. They're just that. They're numbers. And 
if it is going to be positionless basketball, then your job as an organization is to put guys in the best position to maximize their talent. Now, true, they've got to share your vision of what that role is, but if you see early on that that role is not working out, that this guy can't do what you're asking him to, and the proof is there that they're an excellent player or they're a great player and they have a resume that the likes of which Carmelo Anthony has and, you, and you've seen what he's done in the past, then set him up to do those things. What by however you have to do it, set him up to do those things. Now, granted, as an organization, you have to have beliefs. You have to go out and execute those beliefs. And if they've been tried and true and they've worked for you, then a lot of times sticking with them, that's all well and good. But you also have to get out of your comfort zone and expand and don't become so predictable that everybody knows what's coming. And that's been one of the major issues with the Oklahoma City Thunder is they have squandered guys' talents. I believe that they squandered Jeremy Lamb's talents, that they could have found a much better use for this guy and helped him along in his career, and he could have been effective. Now, ultimately, you you may still have had to have gotten rid of him because he was limited in what he could do for your organization, but you have to use him. And a guy like Reggie Jackson, you could have done more to make him happier. Reggie still could have ultimately been a malcontent and not liked his position, but I don't think you hang guys out to dry. This is That's not what you do to become a championship organization. It's all about maximizing and getting the most out of what you have. And the Oklahoma City Thunder haven't always done a great job of that. They've been successful, but there's always more gold that they could have mined and just haven't done it. Anthony Morrow's a guy that people are going to point to. And and, and look, I'm going to point to Anthony Morrow saying this, giving you the caveat this. I disagreed with a lot of people when it came to Anthony Morrow during his second and third year here in Oklahoma City because I didn't see him being a guy as as effective as he could have been. Plus, the Thunder in that time started... In that time, the Thunder brought in a guy like Alex Sabrinas. And if you're going to bring in a young guy, I say give the young guy the playing time. And if you're not going to use Anthony Morrow, don't keep him around. Find somebody to ship him off to and do it as soon as possible. But the knock on the Thunder with Anthony Morrow when Billy Donovan came in was that you yo-yoed him. He didn't know from one game to another what his role is. And part of that's Anthony Morrow's problem. You got to say it's part of it because this is a two-way street is as a player, you've always got to be ready, which is something that Billy Donovan preaches. Hey, I expect guys to be professional. I expect them to be ready. And when they have an opportunity to play, they just got to play. But if you know a guy plays better and is good and can produce for you and he's excellent in a certain role and not to overuse that word, then make sure that he's in that role and Do that with him over and over again. And if it's not something you're not comfortable with as an organization, do it anyway. And then make a move with that player and get someone that fits a little bit better what you want to do. But I don't think there's any reason to have talent in an organization that you're not getting the most of. And I will always think that ultimately, for as much as Carmelo Anthony is going to be criticized for his lack of defense and his lack of scoring... 
the Thunder still got a lot out of him. And a lot of it runs deeper than what was on the court versus because of what he gave in the locker room and how he acted as a member here. And the only thing you can say about Carmelo Anthony while he was at Oklahoma City, the only thing, as much as you want to criticize him, the one thing you absolutely have to say is that he was a total professional. And um, you know what? I'll die on the hill. I'd still rather see him in OKC than go to Houston and have success, and ultimately the Thunder suffer before that. Suffer for that. So Carmelo, if you have to leave us in the part, like a lot of people want, please go to Miami. <laughs> please go to Miami and only play Oklahoma City twice a year, and go hurt the East with your firepower. Don't hurt everybody in the West. This is the Locked On Thunder podcast. When will Andre Robertson be back? And what the Thunder can do to limp along if they decide to slow play this. It's all right here on the Locked on Thunder podcast. Can't thank you enough for making us a part of your day. And I want to get another, sh- another shout out there to uh, Nick Shrimpington. Um, yeah, that's I've got your name pulled up here. So I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And if it's wrong, dude, I apologize but again, I do thank you for the feedback. And anytime you want to give me feedback on the podcast, it's greatly appreciated. GEE at GEEHSO is the best place to get a hold of me. And I love feedback, especially when you disagree with my takes or if you've got ways to make the podcast better, I certainly want to listen to that as well and will do my best to implement those as we go along here on the Locked on Thunder podcast. All right, segment number two, and Andre Robertson. Man, still got to get all right out of the crutch word. You're right there. Down. Okay. So Andre Robertson, he was working out in Las Vegas. He was working out with Nerlens Noel. He's feeling healthy. He says that he wants to be back at the beginning of the year, but this may not be something that the Oklahoma City Thunder are willing to do. They may not be confident that... Andre Robertson's patellar tendon is going to be healthy and that knee that he hurt is ready to go. So what do you do in that situation if you're OKC? If you're not going to bring Andre Robertson back, well, it would tell me that you had a pretty good guy in Corey Brewer who is still out there. And if he's still out there by the time you get this Carmelo Anthony mess figured out, you go out and sign Corey Brewer. Because it's better to dance with the devil you know then try and figure out some other starting five that you're just not as comfortable with. Plus, I think with Corey Brewer's offensive firepower or with him being a lot more offensive than Andre Robertson is, because Andre Robertson is a defensive player, Andre Robertson's three-point shot is offensive in the wrong way. Anyway, you bring back Corey Brewer. If that option is still out there, go ahead, man. That dude... Again, talk about a guy, a professional, increased his minutes, his points, everything, played his butt off for Oklahoma City. I wouldn't mind seeing him back at all. But let's say you don't want to bring back Corey Brewer. So who's your starting five without Andre Robertson? Do you throw Patrick Patterson in there? I mean, is that sort of what we're looking at here? Okay, so here's what I'm imagining the starting five to be if Corey Brewer doesn't come back. And I know that Jeremy Grant is the Again, in air quotes, more natural four. But I would see a starting five of Russell Westbrook at the one, Paul George at the two, Grant at the three, Patterson at the four, and Steven Adams at the five. 
which I, I should have just mentioned Steven Adams first. I don't know why I blanked on his name. But that seems to be a, a lineup that you as the Thunder wouldn't just be limping along with. Now, granted, you're going to lose. You're, you're, with Grant going into the starting lineup, as I assume he's going to since Carmelo Anthony is out, you're still losing some stuff off the bench that you're going to have to replace. But that's also a really good starting lineup in the fact that with Patrick Patterson, if he's better than last year, he's a guy that's going to give you some play beyond the arc that teams have to account for defensively. So I kind of like that starting five. I think you'd be okay with it. Your bench play, which was atrocious last year. For the most part of the season, the bench play was just terrible. Inconsistent, doesn't do the bench play justice. Only Raymond Felton and Jeremy Grant were consistent coming off the bench. But maybe you put Patrick Patterson in that starting role for a while, you get him going, then when he goes back to the bench, he's more comfortable and confident, and he can kind of pick up, pick up where he left off about midway through towards the end of the season last year, and, and everything is golden. Speaking of Andre Robertson, during his exit interview, he gave us an update on the knee and when he plans to be back for the Thunder. It's kind of like the foundation stage. Um, just letting everything kind of heal right away. Um, I do slow bends, little quad contractions, kind of trying to keep it alive, keep the muscle going, um, kind of keep the blood circulation, not getting any blood clots, um, stuff like that. Um, and just slowly getting back to um, my movement stages. Um, slow bend, walking, straight leg, of course. Um, just stuff like that. And it's only a month and a half, so i uh, got a long way to go. Very optimistic guy. You hope that the Thunder are optimistic, but you you got to understand that you that if you're them, you don't want to take chances for with a guy because you don't want him being out another year because that hurts you as a team, but also the human thing to do is not take chances with a guy's career and have it end much earlier than what it should just because you rushed, it, rushed him back and it was all about the team. And that is... This is that interesting dynamic we saw go down with Kawhi Leonard. How much do you need to worry about the team and their success versus how much do you need to worry about the individual? And I think moving forward, again, this is just a raw opinion here. Moving forward, you may see more NBA teams handle it differently when guys are hurt so they don't get into a situation like Kawhi Leonard. They may not be happy. You may have to swallow a tough pill or two, but ultimately you can say, hey, we need this guy back. Let him come back at his own time. It may suck for us, but we'd rather have him like the organization because he can contribute, and we don't want to be accused as a team of just worrying about the wins and losses and not our players individually because that'll ward off free agents from coming here because they think we won't care, that we only care about winning. It's a brutal business sports is. Here is Sam Presti talking about the loss of Dre and what it did to the Thunder defensively. You know, once we took the injury to Robertson, it it was really disrupting to us. It disrupted the progress we made. With all that being said, um, the real key to the season in, in, in the regular season, in my opinion, was just the amount of time it took us to respond and adjust to the loss of him. And therein lies the fact that, you know, we have to own that. Um, we didn't do a good enough job with that. I didn't think that, you know, from that point on, we found ourselves. And um, I felt like, you know, once that happened and the amount of time it took for us to adapt, 
um, you know, we kind of shifted from uh, kind of the, the, the regular approach of like pursuing progress, trying to build habits and getting better to really becoming a little more outcome oriented, just trying to find a way to win the next game. And I personally feel like that really caught up with us down the, uh, down the stretch and ultimately in the playoffs. And we have to own that. Um, um, you know, I'm happy to say that, you know, we're sitting here uh, in year 10 in Oklahoma City with 48 wins, a team that was in one of three or four teams to be in the top 10 in offense and defense, um, the seventh best net rating in the league, uh, the ninth best record, and we're disappointed. And we should be. We expected more out of the team. Uh, I think uh, universally, and I, I'm speaking more internally, um, you know, there's, um, you know, I've sat up here for 10 years. Uh, this is my my tenth time I've sat it in front of you, and I felt really good about um, you know the performance of the team and the opportunity to capture the opportunity during the regular season and to hopefully put us in position to make deep playoff runs. And uh, I don't feel like we were at that level this year, and that's on us. And we've got to figure out ways going forward because, as I said earlier, um, there's a lot of positives. Uh, to what we were able to do, but the inconsistency of the performance is something that you know clearly our team has to figure out. And I'm really optimistic that we'll be able to do that because um, when I think about the season, you know, I never felt that when we were performing against the upper echelon teams in the league, um, I felt like we would always perform at a high level, and I thought we matched up well, especially when we were fully healthy. But you know, injuries are part of the deal. Um, uh, but it's our responsibility to adapt to those. Um, but, you know, I thought our problems were inconsistency against some of the sub-500 teams, and that inability to build habits through that period of time really caught up with us. So going all the way back to the first part of this segment, the Thunder have to figure out a starting five without Andre Robertson that they're completely comfortable with. And again, Jeremy Grant coming back. I'm hoping he can be an offensive force. I think you're going to see a much more, when Andre comes back, he's just going to be a much more defensive starting five. Uh, granted, you've got three pretty good scoring options. Adams on the inside and then Russ and then PG handling all your outside shots. Nerlens Noel got the midnight call from Billy Donovan. That was an interesting story by Brett Dawson. Go read Brett Dawson's article today at newsok.com. He got the uh, midnight call from Billy Donovan, meaning that Billy Donovan flew from Los Angeles to Miami to meet with Nerlens Noel at midnight, give the Thunder his pitch, and then Paul George and Russell Westbrook called Nerlens Noel to seal the deal. And that made me wonder, like, who are the most important guys in the room? Who does all the closing for the player? And unfortunately, and man, this is going to be so cheesy to be saying this, this is, there's not one answer. For a guy like Kevin Durant, it was the players at Golden State. As much as Steve Kerr was in that room talking about family and everything that Golden State was, Kevin Durant needed to see firsthand just how these guys interacted. And that did more for him than anything Steve Kerr could have said. In a LeBron James situation where you leave the Cleveland Cavaliers to go out to the Lakers, one, there is the decision about the afterlife of basketball in your production company and knowing that being in L.A. is going to help all that, but there wasn't a player on the Lakers that could sell LeBron. So that had to be Magic Johnson. And if you couldn't get Magic to close the deal, you were going to have to call in Kobe Bryant because a guy like LeBron was only going to listen to legends. He wasn't going to listen to rookies. 
For Paul George, it was being in the organization. And it wasn't just Sam Presti, but it was mainly Russell Westbrook and how he and Russell Westbrook vibed for a year in order to bring him back. So you want a concrete answer who needs to be in the room? Well, the concrete answer is this. You as a general manager, you as an owner, if you're that involved, have to study the players. You have to do your due diligence, talk to their agents, talk to the people in their organization, talk to the guys that are just their friends. I don't think it hurts at all to talk to the guys that that hang out with them that don't play basketball. Figure out what the hot buttons are. Figure out what they like. Talk to the guys in the locker room about them because you would assume that everybody knows everybody in this day and age of the NBA. And then proceed accordingly. That's how you go about the recruitment of free agency. It's just like anything else in sales. Figure out the hot buttons. Press those hot buttons until that car, that house, that advertising ultimately gets sold. This is the Locked on Thunder podcast. I am Eric G. We will close today out with a visit from Locked on Bulls. It's all right here on the Locked on Thunder podcast. We go now to our friends at Locked On Bulls, and they give us an update on Zach Levine. What's up, Locked On NBA fans? This is Jordan Malley and Matt Peck with you here from Locked On Bulls. Just touching on the breaking news of Zach Levine's re-signing with the Bulls after the Sacramento Kings offered him offer sheet of four years, $78 million. This coming over the weekend on Friday nights, the Bulls were quick to match Zach Levine. This has been a conversation that Matt and I have had multiple times, and uh, it's almost a daily occurrence over the last two months over at Locked On Bulls. And so we just wanted to give you guys our quick reaction of what we think of it and maybe what Bulls fans are reacting to it too. So overall, Matt, uh, this was kind of expected. Obviously, the money was a little bit more than we both initially thought, but what did you overall think of this deal and what it does for the Bulls going forward. Yeah, what's up, Locked On NBA Nation? Jordan, I think leading up to this, I was trying to be optimistic that the Bulls and Levine could come to a a team-friendly deal because looking at the market this summer across the league, I didn't see that many teams that had of the small amount of them that had the money to offer Levine close to a max deal or even something as significant as 20 mil per over several seasons. I just didn't see him getting those offers from anywhere. And the wild card, always the wild card, the Sacramento Kings, who knows what that team, what that front office is doing. I said that was the one hang-up when they were rumored to be one of the teams that would be interested, even though it didn't seem to make a lot of sense for them. Buddy Heald and, and Bogdanovich, two of their better players, play the same position as Levine. I don't, so I don't see why they really gave him that offer. So it's unfortunate that the Bulls were put in the position where they had to match to pay him annually a little bit more than what they would have liked to pay him. But basically what happened here is that the Bulls used their leverage to say, we're not going to just throw this money at you like it seemed the Magic did with Aaron Gordon. They they said, if you want to test the waters and go out and get a, a bigger offer sheet than what we think is fair, bring us an offer sheet and we'll probably match it and we want to keep you. So that's what Levine did, and that's what the Bulls did. Logically, it all makes sense. It's just unfortunate that from 
the Bulls front office perspective, and I think from largely the fan base's perspective, it's a little bit of an overpay to keep him in town. Look, I get the the conversation about what Zach Levine has done in his first three years, and the production level has clearly haven't hasn't been there. He was inconsistent on his offensive side in the twenty five games he played with the Bulls, uh, but even pre injury, people talked about his clip at at forty percent from shooting from three and about forty five percent field goal percentage overall. I look at that and I just say the Bulls were stuck. When they made the Butler trade a year ago, they knew they were going to do this. They knew that they had to do this, that the, his contract talk was going to be coming up and it was probably going to range from 15 to $20 million. Like the Bulls knew that and they played the odds. They told Zach Levine, go out and find out if you can see what offer sheets will get offered to you and what you want to sign and we'll decide from there. Ultimately, I didn't think there was ever really a question whether or not Zach Levine was going to return to the Bulls. And it's it's the same sentiment I had back in February, back in March, when Zach Levine was playing every day or every other day for that matter. But And I get the argument too. Zach Levine ranked 471st out of 521 NBA players last season with a negative 3.30 RPM, a negative 1.16 offensive RPM and a negative 2.14 in defense. So I get that. I get he was one of the least efficient NBA players over the first three years of his his career. I get that he's one of the worst defenders as far as defensive box plus minus goes. I get all of that. But you're also paying for potential here. And the market was weird this year. So I think ultimately, I'm fine with the $19.5 million. And I think it's all going to come down to effort as far as on Zach Levine's side of the, uh, Zach Levine's side of the contract. Yeah, you hope he improves and you hope that the small sample size of him in a Bulls uniform last season turns out to be irrelevant when looking at this contract and looking at the player that he becomes over the course of this contract hopefully it's a player that the Bulls do want to keep around and hopefully by the time that he is 26 or 27 winding down the back end of this contract we're looking back and saying wow that contract actually turned out to be a steal I'm not convinced that that's going to happen but putting yourself in the Bulls front office's shoes, they really didn't have much of a choice here. They they had to match it. It made sense to match it. And now, as you said, you hope that this potential contract turns into a good contract. One last thing, too, to touch on as far as why we feel like this Levine deal isn't as bad as maybe some fans are reacting, and even nationally as the NBA goes. Uh, people were laughing at this deal, saying, of course, the Bulls overpaid. I look at this from this perspective. Yeah, the Bulls have a ton of cap space next season and in 2020. And the Bulls over the last 18 months have been telling us over and over and over again, 2019, 2020, we want to be flexible with the cap. Great. My my point was what free agents and what history has told us with Bulls with the Bulls have recently over the last decade, what top free agents have come to Chicago? None. The Bulls have missed out on all top free agents coming here. 2010 with LeBron and D. Wade and Chris Bosh, and you ended up getting Boozer. 2014 when they wanted Melo, he decided to go back to New York. Like, you talk about all these deals and all these free agents, it's great to have the cap space, but you also have to have the players to recruit, and you have to have the timeline and the history of saying, yeah, I have some trust in the Bulls being able to go out and sign one free agent, one top superstar free agent, two top two superstar free agents. So I look at that, and it's like, I don't have that much trust in the Bulls' front office to draw. It's a big-time free agent, 
a franchise changing player. So I'd rather take the risk in sure 19.5 million a year for the next four years might seem like a lot right now, but I'd rather weigh risk it on a 23 year old that has before pre-injury had potential superstar ability. So we'll see what happens with that. But I think that's a point that shouldn't be overblown as far as what Bulls fans feel like and what has happened as far as history goes and tells us over the last decade in free agency. Yeah, well, you're also asking a fan base that has a tendency to overblow things to not overblow this thing. So (laughs) in, in due time, hopefully we can look at this contract as not... Uh, the huge mistake that a significant portion of the fan base thinks it is. For more information on the Bulls, and if you want to stay up to date with our reaction and maybe Bulls fans' reaction, head over to Locked On Bulls. You can subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere you find podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. Once again, Jordan Malley, Matt Peck here from Locked On Bulls. Thank you very much, and I encourage you to go to LockedOnSports.com for all our podcasts. Whether it's NBA, Major League Baseball, or NFL, we have you covered at LockedOnSports.com. Hey, coming up on tomorrow's show, and I wanted to get my thoughts in order for this, we're going to talk about the LaShawn McCoy situation because there is an NBA tie-in. I didn't want to do it today because I I try and do third thoughts, although I will say that throughout today's podcast, there's a lot of first thoughts there, some second thoughts as well. But I try and do third thoughts because those generally aren't the places that everybody else goes. And I do my damnedest to be unique. And I don't always I don't always um succeed in that, but I do but I do try hard on that. But there is an NBA tie-in. And <clears throat> seeing what I have from the NFL over the last few years, I have a deep belief that if things keep going the way that they are with the National Football League, that the NBA has got a chance to become America's sporting passion. Don't know if that necessarily means higher ratings for the NBA because you've got to make more of an investment in it on a night-to-night basis than you do the NFL, but I do believe that America's sports passion, especially with a younger generation, is going to be the association over the NFL and LaShawn McCoy and the accusations surrounding him have a lot to do with it. So we'll get to that tomorrow here on the Locked on Thunder podcast. And until tomorrow, everybody love everybody and peace, love, and thunder up. You are Locked on Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.